Welcome into the Locked On Bengals podcast on a Thursday. I'm your host, James Rapine, on Twitter. At James Rapine, at Locked On Bengals, you can subscribe, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcast. If you're new to the show, well, we do it every single weekday. And basically, you get your daily Bengals fix, whether it's now, whether it's in the middle of draft season, training camp, etc. Uh, past couple podcasts, you've heard from new Bengals running back Mark Walton. You've heard from Billy Price. And uh, you're going to hear from a guest that we had on quite often during draft season. We have him on every week during the season. Joe Goodberry of The Athletic coming up in just a second here. By the way, Andrew Dunn wrote about uh, his day in the life of a Bengals fan, a year in the life of a Bengals fan, rather, uh, his series continues right now at LockedOnBengals.com, so check that out. He's up to year 2002, which is the year before Marvin. Now he's got to write about 15 years of Marvin Lewis, so I bet he can't wait to do that. But uh, you can check that out at LockedOnBengals.com. And for more on the Bengals is Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. Check out his work for The Athletic. Joe is on with us now. Joe, I appreciate the time. How was vacation? Vacation was fun. We went to Disney World and then QS, and it was a long one. And with three kids, it was long in that way, too. Are so, you tan? Uh, as tan as I can get. You I got burn, tan. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I have color, but I don't tan. Gotcha, gotcha. I, I assumed you would come back with a tan. You might have, like, a little Playboy bunny on your hip like the ladies used to do when they go to the tanning bed to see, like, the before Remember and after. That? That used to be a thing. I used to think back in high school, I used to think that chicks were so attractive when they had that done. I don't know why. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I you too? I'm not, cra- I'm not crazy with that. That's a thing? No, you're not crazy. Okay. I remember that. Yeah, I remember being like, man, she's got that Playboy bunny right there, and that shows how tan she is. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, I, I did. I don't yeah, know. I, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder if they that. still do I that. I wonder if they still do that. I don't know. Like at tanning beds, I, I I couldn't tell you, but uh, he, anyway, he's Joe Goodberry of the Athletic. I, I wouldn't have guessed that that's where we would start this. Joe, I've been talking a lot about the the Bengals, what they've done in the draft, what they've done this off season, and uh, the other day I regraded uh, or looked at a regrade uh, of the 2015 draft for the Bengals, and it was awful, 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 awful. And as bad as it was with Cedric Obwehi and Jake Fisher, a bust at this point. Maybe he ends up being better and ends up improving. I think the biggest thing that sticks out to me is that they failed to get a wide receiver before they got Mario Alford in round seven. And if they would have got one earlier, that could have alleviated some of the pressure on Tyler Boyd as a rookie, some of the pressure that Brandon LaFell had on him, the burden that he had on his shoulders once A.J. Green went down in 2016. Like that 2015 draft was bad because they got the tackle picks wrong. They also got it wrong positionally because they didn't take a wide receiver early in that draft. Yeah, remember that? Remember we were trying to forecast a year in advance and saying, well, they could use a defensive end, they could use a wide receiver. Yeah, they could use some tackles in case Andre Smith and Andrew Whitworth are at leave. And so uh, that draft was completely with an eye to the future because they had a good team. Remember, it was 2015. Uh, you know, we expected it to be a deep roster, and uh, they sold that. That Listen, we're going to draft some guys that may not contribute this year, and and they're going to be starters in the next year or two. And I, obviously with O'Boyhe and Fisher and, and even P.J. Dawson, they still have an issue at linebacker. So, um, you, you know, missing those picks and, and not hitting them correctly obviously is going to hurt your team. I think when you look back at the 2014 and 2015 drafts, and they thought they had something in 2014, but they ended up being a bunch of starters but bad players, um, I think the combination is obviously what led to 2016-2017 and the fall of 
uh, a team that was really, really good for, for five, six years of stretch. Um, but yeah, and wide receiver is, they've done, they've been weird with wide receiver. They've either attacked it in the first, second round, or they've let it slide all the way to the sixth, seventh round. Guys like Mario Alford and Cody Core and this year, Auden Tate. I mean, they're almost throwaway picks at that time. James Wright from LSU, remember that? Um, they just late round guys that maybe your hope are the fifth guy, maybe sixth guy. They play special teams and, and can help you that way, but, um, the Bengals needed more than that. And, and, they obviously agreed because the following year they, they, they targeted wide receivers in the first round, ended up with Boyd in the second, then came back the following year and, and drafted John Ross number nine overall. So, um, yeah, I remember claiming or clamoring for Tyler Lockett and Stephon Diggs, and Lockett hasn't been the guy I, I think I, I thought he could be. Um, but Diggs has been, and we're talking fifth round, the Bengals could have pulled the trigger at any point in that draft. Yeah, and that's – that leads me in. You mentioned it. They picked John Ross ninth overall, and I, I talked about him a lot on the podcast yesterday. And the most interesting thing about it for me is is the people that don't like the pick. This never happens. I don't think they're forced to take John Ross, even though I think they liked him better than, say, uh, Corey Coleman the year before or, say, maybe than a Josh Jackson the year before. With that being said, they they should never have gotten to that point. It never should have gotten to that point, and it started in 2015 when, one, they didn't get any wide receivers early. Two, they went with two tackles to be proactive, and they got them both wrong. And then three, they couldn't re-sign Marvin Jones. They were almost forced to re-sign Marvin Jones, and he was like, eh, I don't want to be here, especially for that that guaranteed money. So he went and, and became the number one wide receiver in Detroit. Yeah, and it's it's funny because the proactive and reactive way you look at it with they're being proactive with a boy and Fisher, let's get ahead of it in case Andre Smith isn't good again. Cause he had a poor year and, and you know, the end of his career, 2014, 2015 weren't great years for Smith. Um, and with the age of Whitworth, you know, they're figuring, okay, if he falls off a cliff, we've got guys that are ready to step in uh, and ended up not extending him. So it forced that maybe a year earlier than they wanted. Uh, but then the proactive part was, I'm sorry, the reactive part was, okay, we've missed on receiver. It didn't fall to the value. It didn't fall where we wanted to get the guy. Um, we're going to take John Ross at number nine. And even after two wide receivers went off the board right in front of them, you know, they were like, John Ross, our guy at nine, we're going to, he needs to come in and play right away. It's not like the situation where he could um, sit on the bench like a boy Ian Fisher when we've got guys. They may have liked LaFell, but he wasn't what they needed on offense. And it showed, obviously, when he didn't play and when he, when he couldn't play and couldn't produce, the offense was worse for it. And that's the crazy part about people that don't like the pick. I understand not liking the pick because it's a huge risk injury-wise, and that proved to be true. Um, you should feel the same way about when they drafted you know, Billy Price with, with, as injured or Cedric Abwehi with a knee injury. I mean, they've done it in the first round where they've said, We'll take an injured player, and, and maybe they see it as value, but at the same time, it still is a risk. Um, so if you dislike, it, dislike John Ross for that reason, that's fine. But to pretend that his importance to this offense isn't huge, I mean, he is the biggest addition to this offense, bigger than Cordy Glenn and Billy Price this year, if he is who he's supposed to be. And I say that because there's still issues on the offensive line. You're not – the offensive line isn't going from being a top bottom five team to a to a top five offensive line just because you added Price and and, and Cordy Glenn. You're going to need the development of a lot of other guys to, to to make that jump, and it could happen, but I don't expect it this year. Uh, but your receiving core, if 
Ross is who he's supposed to be, turns into a top five receiving core. And that impact, and people say, well, you can't throw the ball deep if you don't have an offensive line. True, but you can't do a lot of things if, you're, if your weapons aren't getting open. And if you don't have that threat over the top, A.J. Green looks much worse. Uh, the, the impact, and I'm going to write about John Ross next um, and why he's going to really have the biggest impact on this offense. You watch so many plays where defenses are just laughing at the idea of Boyd and LaFell and one of Tyler Croft at tight end beating them. They were slanted and shaded so far to A.J. Green's side and saying, beat us. Do something, Andy Dalton. Make a throw in the coverage. And guess what? They didn't. They had one of the worst offenses in the league for two years in a row. And that's why John Ross was needed and why not only is he needed, he needs to be good. He can't just be uh, a deep threat, and he's more than that. And, and we've talked about that. But he he is needed. He is crucial to the to the performance of this offense in 2018. Joe Goodberry of the Athletic is joining us. Follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. It's it's funny you mention that and how critical he is in his success is for the 2018 Bengals. Yesterday on the podcast, I said exactly that. I said, look, if if they're going to win 10 games, I'm assuming John Ross is a big part of it because I don't see how. The 32nd ranked offense, even with a better offensive line and this new playbook and all that stuff, can succeed if it doesn't have a legitimate number two wide receiver, outside wide receiver, which despite his height, that's what I think John Ross is. And and I don't think LaFell's that. I I don't think there's another guy on the roster that can be that. So it's going to be Ross or it's going to be A.J. Green and a bunch of guys. And so I do think that, that John Ross, him figuring it out, is so crucial for the Bengals this season. And it reminds me, I was reading the Jeff Hobson story, and you know he talked about A.J. Green giving him a vote of confidence, and a lot of it was on the mental aspect for Ross. And that's kind of what I heard towards the end of the year last year, um, that it wasn't all Marvin Lewis. You know, Even though there may have been, we like to blame Marvin for a lot of things, and there may have been a little bit to it, but it was Ross struggling mentally with his responsibility, with his health, with his conditioning. Um, you know, that one play where everyone talks about where he stops his route and, and you see the way he goes to the sideline and Brandon LaFell is trying to tell him, man, you got to run through that. I broke that play down when it happened. And it, it, based on the coverage, he, that ball is going to him. He misread the coverage and didn't run through it. That trust is huge for, for Andy Dalton. Um, but, you know, and LaFell is trying to tell him, and it seems like Ross just, you know, didn't take, the, the, the initiative. Then it takes the, the, the responsibility of, yeah, that's your fault and you gotta you gotta work on it. And if that's the case and he can start playing faster and better, he's gonna be a good player. It reminds me of Nelson Aguilar or the Eagles because mm-hmm. he spoke very similarly the way Ross is now about, you know, he just really needs a fresh start mentally. He really needed to get out of his own head, just start catching the ball the way he used to and, and just play fast. And it when you're thinking too much, it slows you down completely. And for a guy like Ross, you can't take away his best asset because he's thinking too much. It, the Eagles found a way to get the best out of Aguilar, and, and maybe not completely. I think there's still some there. I really liked Aguilar coming out of USC a couple of years ago. But they moved him in the slot. They moved him around a lot. Obviously, that Eagles offense was fine-tuned and got guys open and schemed guys open and really built his confidence up by getting him open you know, they were creating for him. They didn't have they didn't rely on him to do everything right 100% of the time. And I think the Bengals' offense has, has struggled to do that for a long time now. Even with A.J. Green, they they limit him so much by, based on their, their, their routes and the way they build their offense and the way they have. If this new offense with Bill Lazor is, is 
what we expect and what we want. And if it's different enough, more like the way the Eagles do things, and you're scheming guys open, you're making the reads easier for everyone so they can all play faster, it'll make everybody better. And that's John Ross included. I, I still have hopes for him, even though he had a lost rookie year. And that rookie year puts him in the bucket with guys that never really come out of it. Maybe one guy really, Santana Moss, and that's why I compared the situation to uh, because he had a very similar rookie year. You really you look at that group of guys that really don't contribute as rookies, and it's not pretty. But I still believe he can help, and maybe he doesn't end up being um, Antonio Brown or Odell Beckham Jr., but maybe he ends up being a very, very good number two, and that's really all they need right now. He's Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. And, Joe, did you include injured players? Because I, I look at Ross and people are saying, oh, he's a bust. Even if you don't like the pick, I have no idea what he is because we only saw him play 17 snaps. This, to me, is a lot like William Jackson, a redshirt season. Yeah, and then when I first built the list, I, I've added everyone. And guys that had missed years because of injuries. Um, it's still not a good group, really, when, when you miss that entire rookie year for almost every position, to be honest. You, it's hard to miss that rookie year and then come in and make a big impact. And, and this was, I was looking at first three rounds, first two round guys, because you're expected to play and you're expected to make an impact. Um, the late round guys, you know, uh, uh, TJ Hushman's out in the seventh round. He doesn't have to have a good rookie year. You know, he, he can make an impact later. Um, it's those guys that you're expected to play. And, and then I went to guys that played at least, I think eight games and um, Ross did uh, or was active for, for eight weeks and, or, or no more than eight weeks it was. And um, so that included guys that were injured and then guys that still had a chance to play and didn't make an impact. So I really wanted to narrow it down to similar situations. And there were some guys like um, Josh Doxson had a similar rookie year and he had a decent year last year. I still think there's upside with Josh Doxson. There were some names on there, but out of like 20 guys, you'd probably take three of them, and Santana Moss was easily the one that stood out as a guy who had a really good career. And size-wise, athleticism-wise, returnability, um, player type, I, I thought the comparison really stood out for me. And last thing here on Ross for Joe Goodberry of The Athletic, to me, it's, it's, some, it's a guy they need. And regardless of, because last year the narrative was uh, Marvin wasn't on board with the pick. And while I think that that probably was the case, I think everybody needs to be on board with it now. Like A.J. Green's been asked about him. If I'm A.J. Green, I'm busting my ass to make sure Ross is ready to go. Because you're not going to be successful this year offensively without Ross. I think he's such a key to it. Same thing with Marvin. Like it or not, there's going to be a time where he gets fired or they move on from him. At some point, if you lose again this year, that could be the case. So... I think all of the, the entire organization almost, and obviously T.J. Hushmanzada has done this, but the organization, the Bengals, need to be fully on board and do everything they can to make Ross right, get him right so he can be successful. If not, it's going to lead to them struggling. I also think it's interesting with fans, and, and you probably get this, I know I do. I think there's a lot of fans that are rooting against Ross just so they're right, <laughs> just so they get it right about the pick. And I was never that way. And there's been plenty of times where I wasn't on board with who the Bengals picked. But I don't get not wanting Ross to succeed. I gave you two questions there. Let's start with uh, Marvin Lewis and that first one. Yeah, and it's interesting because Marvin, some years he doesn't play rookies at all. All right, And then some years, like last year, besides Ross, they got impacts from almost everybody. Um, and everyone played. And 
then the year before that, where a guy like Nick Vigil on a team that needs a linebacker only plays 100 snaps, and they're basically the last two weeks of the year. You know, so it's hit or miss. And when people say he wasn't completely on board with the pick, I heard some of that. But also at the same time, I think Marvin wants to win. And if Ross would have won him over, I think Marvin would have been very open to it. And I think that's where you get to see year two now, or this year, and you say, fresh start for everyone. I mean, if Ross is the best guy, the number two receiver, he's going to be the number two receiver. And I think he is the most talented, the second most talented receiver they have. And it's important to look at the rest of the depth chart. Um, they may like Brandon LaFell, but he's more of a slot guy. And you know, I think we saw that last year when Tyler Boyd got hurt um, and they put LaFell in the slot more often. LaFell looked good. He actually had a few games, had some impact plays, had some third down conversions. The slot is much, you don't have to be an athletic freak. It's much easier to get open if you're a smart, intelligent route runner with good hands. And I think that's what LaFell is. And he has a role there. And Tyler Boyd still does. And I, I think that battle is interesting for the slot. If Ross is your number two, and he should be. And I think the backup to Ross should be Josh Malone, a guy they drafted last year that they liked who had a little bit more size, has deep speed. I don't think he showed much as a rookie. He got opportunities, and he played. Um Dalton didn't go to him often. There was a, I watched in the tape. There was a lot of times he was just half speed or three-quarter speed and not really knowing what he was doing either, but they were desperate for a receiver during that stretch, and he was probably the best guy. I mean, he was better than Cody Core. I think Core still struggles to be an actual receiver. I think Alex Erickson isn't an outside guy, especially your outside number two that you need to get deep. Um, he's probably a backup slot, and, uh, and I think that's where Auden Tate comes in too because I think he – at the best, is maybe a, a big red zone target, and maybe maybe his testing numbers are, are that were extremely poor, but maybe he can be um, a guy that can play on the outside and, and just provide some some big playability because he has the the really good ball skills, ball tracking, um, body awareness, and body positioning and control can high point football. So I'm interested to see where he is. But for me, I think it's Ross and Malone as the, as the number two outside guy. And I think in the slot, it's Boyd. It's LaFell, and maybe Erickson can still get some snaps. But um, if if they're used right and correctly, and that's part of the battle, is needing Ross and Malone to step up and, and be that number two guy, then you can actually use Boyd and LaFell in the slot. And that's where they're going to look better and look their best. And if you can do that, this receiving core is much better for it. Yeah, and I, I just think that that's such a key. Joe Goodberry of The Athletic is with us. And as far as the draft goes, the, the other – thing that that stands out and obviously we were kind of looking back at prior drafts but this the, the newest draft and obviously Billy Price and the offensive line and all of that we've talked about that a ton but the the biggest surprise I think of this offseason to me was just how the Bengals were so so adamant and and honest and open about how upset they were bothered uh um, unsatisfied they were with their safety play and I know you wrote about this for the athletic uh, I know you were looking at film and stuff of the Bengals' current safeties in George Iloka and Sean Williams, the current starters. But that surprised me how like open they were. Hey, yeah, we don't like our safeties. And I think maybe part of that was Terrell Austin and, and him coming in here. But looking at what they did, and obviously they, they used a premium pick and Jesse Bates on a safety, how do you think he fits into the mix? How do you think these three guys now, because Bates, I expect him to play as a rookie. I expect him to contribute right away. How do you think he fits in with George Iloka and Sean Williams? Yeah, second-round picks should contribute, right? That's premium pick. Um, they had a lot of safeties to choose from at that spot. There was some guys that were falling, like Rodney Harrison, Justin Reed. I liked Bates in the second, uh, so I didn't have a problem with them liking Bates more than the other two guys. Um, so, you know, just Bates overall is a 
very athletic, probably the most athletic guy. And that's the thing too. When you look at Iloka and you look at Williams and even the depth is all right with, with, with Clayton Fedgidellum and Josh Shaw, I think they're okay at safety, but what didn't they have out of those guys? They didn't have an athlete. They didn't have a true center fielder, even though I think George Iloka plays it well. And he really rarely gets beat over his head. Um, he's not a great athlete. It limits his range at times. He has picked and choose the wrong time to hit and play the ball, especially the last couple of years. And I think that, you know, has made it the perception of him a little bit worse. Uh, I don't think he's aggressive enough. And I'm, this is George Iloka uh, again. Uh, I don't think he's aggressive enough coming downhill and when to stop not getting beat over that. You know, there's a transition for a safety of, okay, I'm, I'm making sure no one gets deeper than me. If you're the free guy, which Iloka plays a lot, I'm making sure no one gets deep deeper than I am. Now it's a pass short or it's a run play. You have to recognize it, be sure about it, click, close, go. Run that alley. It's your man. Everyone's in the front is gapped up and and man in the head on a hat. You're the guy. Come up, make a tackle. When I watched a lot of Aloka recently, it was very passive for that transition and realizing when to go and when to make that decision. His tackles are 7, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16 yards on the field um, unless he's in the box. And and so when he's coming down from that free safety spot, there's there's something to be wanted there. He's very safe and plays very safe. And I, I thought about it like an Andy Dalton at at, at safety. He's not going to get you beat because he's not going to make that mistake as that beat, as that as that back guy. But he's not going to make a lot of plays. I'm not going to come up and make it be a difference maker when you need it against the run. And I think Bengals have struggled against the run. And part of that is safety play. So what do they need? They needed a true free safety guy. Uh, that's a bonus, I think, um, because I think Aloka can do it. But they needed an athlete, and they needed a guy that could cover the slot in, in, in situations. Right now, Sean Williams is really the guy. If you're in base defense and they detach a tight end or a running back, the Bengals use Sean Williams to do that. He's not a great athlete. But, it, you know, the safety position is also kind of changing. It's, it's not so much free and strong anymore because they're so interchangeable because – spread offense because tight ends that are freaks because running backs that can run routes like receivers like Le'Veon Bell. Um, it has changed what it is. It's more, it's really like field safety and boundary safety. And the field safety is like Sean Williams. It's really the strong safety spot, but you have more responsibilities. You, you expect your, your strong safety now to cover the slot guy or cover that tight end or cover a running back. And when you think of it that way, you're like, man, that's why Taylor Mays can't make it in 2018. It's a couple of years after he's been out of the league, but it's why he would have been good in the 80s and 90s, but not in the 2000s. These guys they have different responsibilities now. They're, they're required to be more coverage guys, required to be able to run in space and, and do more. And I think watching Sean Williams, I gained more of an appreciation for him. I was a fan of Iloka. I thought he looked better on Williams. I think when I went back and watched both of them, I'm like, okay, Williams, is he's good. But he's limited to his role. He's really good in his role, which is as the strong safety. And the, when he's in the box, when he can come down and defend the run, the weakness I said about Iloka is the exact opposite for Williams. And he comes down, he crashes down. He's a good tackler. He's got he's got a short tackle radius, and I looked up his size. He had thirty inch arms, and I'm like, oh well, that, that's why he misses so many tackles. Plus, he had that big brace on his arm. I think that contributed to it too. So he is a he is a downhill run stuffing safety that they use in the box a lot. And they use them lined up as a linebacker a lot in, in situations where you're a nickel and um, you've got a single high free safety, which is Iloka. You shift over the linebackers and, and Sean Williams comes down. And he's basically that third linebacker in that situation. Very common. So this isn't something new that the Bengals are doing. But it shows that Williams 
um, could play that role. And that's where I come back to Bates. So now you want an athlete, you wanted someone better that could cover the slot, and Bates did it really well. You wanted someone with ball skills because they've struggled to create turnovers at safety. And you wanted someone, if they could be a true free safety and provide all those other things with the range and ball skills, that's a bonus, and Bates is that completely. And now what it does is a lot of teams are going to three safety looks. I, I've referenced the Eagles and Patriots Super Bowl, and if you look at it, each team, the Patriots and the Eagles, had a third safety on the field for 84% of the game in the Super Bowl. That's a lot. They're out there with three safeties almost the entire game. And for the Eagles, it was Malcolm Jenkins. The Eagles had a lot of injuries at linebacker. They said, all right, Jenkins, you're a linebacker now. Um, for the Patriots, they always used Patrick Chung this way. And really, Patrick Chung at Oregon um, really was the star rover safety linebacker I remember as, as guys that were starting it. And he played more snaps at, at, at block corner and linebacker than he did safety last year. It's the same for Malcolm Jenkins. He played 43% of his snaps last year at linebacker and only 24% of his snaps at traditional safety. So you don't, you're, today's defense, future defense, you, you know the phrase, nickel is the base defense now. I think we're going to dime is the base defense. And, and dime is six defensive backs. It's really one safety is going to play a linebacker. We keep kicking linebackers off the field because they haven't been able to cover. They haven't been athletic, athletic enough. Teams are following this. Safeties are becoming uh, um, more and more common. The guys that you want, the cover guys that you want, are, you're, every team has a couple of them now where it was really hard to find them before. And I think the Bengals drafted Bates with the idea of we can use Sean Williams in that linebacker role. And, and a lot of teams are doing it, more than just the Eagles and Patriots. I went back and I, I wrote down about 14 guys. That's half the league that is playing with a third safety. Terrell Austin um, for the Lions. I went back and looked. Quandre Diggs is a is a nickel corner and a, and a safety. So he played a lot. And, and depending on who you're playing, he's playing safety or nickel corner. Now, I don't think the Bengals have a guy that's going to play like a Justin Reed, I thought would have been a nickel corner safety type. I'm talking a linebacker safety hybrid type, the, the uh, Dion Buchanan's, the Mark Barron's, the guys like that, they, that can, that can do that and provide athleticism and coverage. I think Sean Williams is perfect for this. Um, I have, I went and looked at all his, uh, his tackles from this past year and I'd say about 80% of them are him just in the box defending the run, and he's very good at it. And he's good in short and mid zones where he can cover the running backs and the flats, uh, make tackles. He's a smart player. I think he's the guy making a lot of checks and calls back there. You can see, by the way, he communicates with everyone, especially when, when Iloka was out uh, for the time he was. Um, I think Williams can make that transition. And I think what that does is it makes safety better because now Bates is probably your free safety. And even if he's not ready to make those calls, because a lot of times the free safety is the guy that has the vision of the entire defense and offense. He's, he's making the checks with both sides of the field. If Bates isn't ready for that, he can be the strong safety for now. And um, Iloka is your free safety because Bates can cover more of the man-to-man stuff than Iloka can. And like I said earlier about the, the field and the boundary safety, the field safety, the strong safety, for Bates would come down and he can cover a tight end. He can cover a running back. He's going to cover more of that middle of the field where he has to actually use his sideline to sideline quickness more like um, um, more than I looked at would have to do in a free safety. So I think this pick makes more sense. As I looked at everyone, I looked at really what their strengths, weaknesses are, where the league is going, what Austin did with the Lions. I hope they go with it. I hope Bates is ready. I hope I, I hope they really try Sean Williams, that linebacker, 
and really do what NFL teams are doing to get them over the hump and to defend. And you don't have to do it all the time. When you're playing the Ravens, Ravens, I think, were in two wide receiver sets and three wide receiver sets 50% of the time. So they're not a team that's going to force you a nickel. The Ravens aren't going to force you a nickel um, for your entire game. So you don't do that with Williams. You know, that's the game that maybe Bates doesn't play as much or he rotates in. But in the teams that are going to force you into your nickel packages and have a running back like the Steelers that can flex out, the Steelers are getting Vance McDonald this year, who they had, they traded from the 49ers. He's a flex tight end. He's going to be a problem covering when, once they get him fully uh, involved in their offense. That's when you want Sean Williams and a third safety out on the field. And, and long-winded answer, I know, but I think this pick makes a lot of sense, and it makes sense why they were targeting safety at that spot the whole way. Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. Long-winded maybe, but really informative as always. Two more things for you, Joe. One fun one, I think, but uh, one that is interesting. You mentioned his coverage uh, ability, one-on-one, his man-to-man coverage in, in Jesse Bates. They've Obviously, they drafted a, a couple corners as well in this draft. I look at the guys they drafted in the at corner, this Bates pick. Is there a place for Adam Jones on this team? He talked on uh, SiriusXM. He said he had groin surgery the week after the Super Bowl. He's finally 100%, cleared by doctors. He's running full speed. He expects to be signed in the coming weeks. Do you think the Bengals are the ones that will sign him? No. I, I think it'd probably be the Raiders if they do go with Paul Gunther. And uh, and I, it's funny because I was watching a uh, Steelers-Bengals game, and I think it was Monday night. Whatever John Gurdon was, uh, yeah, he was Monday night color guy, right? And he was speaking highly of Gunther and uh, Pac-Man. It was on the same play. Pac-Man's uh, ah. interception he had when they baited him. And I'm like, and I'm like, yeah, they could probably use him. And, and it, I thought it was interesting. But for the Bengals, no, I think you have your three starters and Jackson and, and Patrick on the boundary. I think you have your slot guy in Darquez Bernard. It's the backup, and it would be depth, obviously. But also, what Pac-Man brings is still as a punt return man and return guy. I think the pick of Darius Phillips and you watch his return and his ball skills and and his how he runs with the ball in his hand. Um, Jesse Bates is a return guy, a punt return guy. I think they filled that role, um, and maybe it's it's it may not have the same type of impact as as Pac-Man did, but Pac-Man's also getting older. I think Darius Phillips is that guy, and I think he can definitely be their return man and their big their big play return man because they kind of have like a a safe guy in Erickson, and they've always had it, and it was Brandon Tate before when it was Tate and Pac-Man. But Erickson's your safe guy, and Darius Phillips is your big play break one guy. And I really like the Phillips pick. Um, ball skills. Me too. Uh, he looks like a boundary corner. I was watching some of the some of the videos that we get from, um, you know, Bengals' website of, of practices for the rookie mini camp, and he was playing exactly where I expected, which was uh, left boundary corner. And that's where he played a lot in college. And I, and even though he's smaller, I thought maybe he could move inside, but no, it makes much more sense for him to be a boundary guy because he's not very physical. He's not going to come up and make a, a, a tackle in the run. He's not one of those guys. But he's uh, he, he's got decent enough speed, and he's got those ball skills, and, and that'll make him able to recover on a lot of plays. And then Devontae Harris, um, he's interesting to me. I, you get very limited tape, but I remember the East-West Shrine practices, which I thought he stood out and he was – one of the most physical guys there, and um, you know, some, he, he's the type of guy that was pushing people around and playing through the whistle, and you always like that. And he's 205 pounds. He, he benched a, a lot at the combine. He's a strong, physical guy. They called him a DB when they drafted him. I thought that was important because I'm not sure if he's a safety, if he's a slot corner, or what he is. Um, he's got the size of a safety, but and then I watched some videos, and he's he seems extremely intelligent, and he seems like a good guy, and he seems like um, you know. 
someone that's going to work hard and really craft a role, whether that's just special teams or whether that is as a as a versatile backup. Um, so the backup corner spots are going to be very interesting. Does Josh Shaw now get more of an opportunity at corner because uh, because they drafted another safety? So is he your backup slot guy? And then Harris is a backup backup to that. I think Harris is destined for special teams early on, but I think, you know, fifth round, that's what you're expecting. So Kavari Russell, where is he? Um, I thought uh, I thought he's flashed, but he really hasn't played a lot. So um, the backup spot will be interesting. If someone goes down and Pacman's still not signed in August, sure, I could see it happening. Joe, final thing for you, and you've been great with your time. As far as the John Ross thing, I've kind of – and you've been on board with the John Ross pick, and you know it's important, but I've been, like, planting my flag on John Ross's hill. And I'm all in on Ross. Should I go all in even more and buy a Ross jersey? Yes or no? Um, yes, I think you should. Uh, <laughs> but it's kind of weird for you, isn't it? I mean, when you wear a jersey, you should wear it into the locker room and give him the confidence. You're like, listen, man, you're going to do it. You're going to be the star. You're going to, I don't know, but something I, like that. I, the yeah, only, I think you should. What? The last jersey I, I bought was uh, Jordan Shipley. Really, and and before that it was no, Chad Chad Johnson. Chad Johnson. Yeah, it sucked because you Shipley was. Like you would have loved Shipley. Sh- yeah. Why? Because I'm white. No, Shipley was going to be really exactly good. Why. No, I. It's funny. I was so excited for that year, and I did it um, midway through the year because he was he was the best receiver on the team. I remember. <laughs> I mean, not I really, that, but he was really productive. He was consistently. It was the same offense that, you know, T.J. Hickman's out of left, Bob Burkowski relied a lot on the, the slot guy. Um, Carson Palmer really had a connection with, with Hushman's out It, boom, naturally happened with Shipley. A lot of those option routes, Y option routes, where he's in the slot and you got to just run it a based off zone. You don't have to be a great athlete. Um, it worked, and it worked a lot, and he converted on a lot of plays, especially as a rookie. Um, it's funny because – and then they signed T.O. and it's Chad and T.O. And, and Shipley, right? That was the, yeah. that was when we were like, man, this is going to be a crazy receiving core. Um, I think Jermaine Gresham was the tight end. We were yeah. hoping it would be, you know, the next level. Um, yeah, that was fun. I was going to ask you, and I'm glad you got on jerseys, because I was going to say, what was your first Bengals jersey? Mine was a Carl Pickens uh, in the mid-'90s. Yeah, and you're, you're a few, you're a few years, years younger. Yeah, you're was, a few years older than me. Mine was a Peter Warwick. Ah, Loved yeah. it, and maybe no that's receivers, huh? Yeah, I mean, let's be honest here. Yeah, team wide receiver for me. And honestly, here's a take for you: Peter Warwick wasn't a bust. He had Achilles Smith throwing it to him, and when he finally got a good quarterback, well, then he got injured. Here's a better take for you: Peter Warwick was 15 years too early. I agree. I um, think he would like be amazing he, here in, in this league. I agree. Yeah, Raymond Luga and Taylor Mays. We said they were 10, 15 years too late. Peter Warwick was too early. It, that third receiver, the way they're crafted now, the way that slot is used to funnel your offense so much for a lot of offenses, the gadget plays, the reverses, the, the screens, he would have been so much better in 2015 than he was you know, in 2005 and before that. So, um, yeah, I, I, Peter Ork was just a man in the wrong time. Should I, so I should get a Ross jersey is what you're saying? Yes, of course. Actually, what's the, I was gonna say, do you still wear jerseys? Because I don't wear them anymore. No, I don't. I don't. No, but this is like finishing, like putting the final touches on the John Ross fanboy club. I mean, that's what it. That's all it is. No, I don't. I haven't bought a jersey of this era. I don't have an AJ Green, Andy. No one. I haven't bought any of them. So. Oh, I do. I have a Green and an Atkins. 
See? So you're in this area. I'm not. I, I haven't. Zero. I but, think one was a gift. And Ross could be that one. Here's, here's what you do then. If he scores more than five touchdowns, make yourself a bet then. If he scores more than five touchdowns, you get a, you get a jersey. Oh, make him earn it. Should right. I tell him that? Yeah, I, I could time, make you this. Reward a, yourself too. Yeah, I could make this a thing. Like, hey, John, I'm going to buy your jersey because I've been such. A, and he has no clue when I interview him that I'm back him, backing him in pick wise. That you're John Ross. Yeah, he has no fan, clue. Fan think fan about it. He, does, he doesn't listen to me on the radio. He's you know 22, 23. He's listening to Spotify or something. And and so <laughs> that that's the case, which is fine. I get it. And so that that's the case probably. And if I'm like, hey, man. I'm buying a jersey of yours as a member of the media in the locker room. I'm buying your jersey right. if you score five touchdowns. I think I'm going to do that. I need to remember, but I think I'm going to do that. Should I, I do it at OTAs? Reasonable, right? Should I do OTAs or wait till training camp? No OTAs. Oh, like put the pressure on now? Okay. Right. Like, listen, man, you're going to do it. I've got the confidence in you. I think you know. I, I'm going out on a limb here. I think you. Right, I'm five touchdowns, and I'm getting your jersey. Exactly, and considering you didn't catch a ball last year, that's well, exactly. I, on ESPN. So a, on ESPN, you're 15, going out on a limb a little bit. Yeah, on ESPN fifteen thirty earlier today, we we played over under, and it was over under twenty four receptions for Ross this year. I took the over. Oh, over. Okay, easy. I took the over too. I I think I projected like fifty two, seven hundred yards and five touchdowns or something in that range. Remember, he's, people were like, well. Um, I, this goes back to the Auden Tate thing, because I remember having a comment, someone saying, well, they can bring in Auden Tate in the red zone. I'm like, John Ross scored 17 touchdowns his last year in college. He had the most red zone touchdowns in the in, in college football his last year. He's a, he's a guy that will score touchdowns. He is hard to cover in that short area of the field. Um, I think even if he only caught 30 balls, he could get five touchdowns. Yeah, exactly. I, and I, I hope he does. Look, I, the problem is, is I don't want to jinx him. I know he's really good. By the way, last thing, and this really is the last thing. Corey Coleman's on the board. John Ross is on the board. Who would you have picked coming out? It's so That's close. Um, I got asked this yeah. like a week ago, and I was like, holy crap. I don't know. <laughs> I had Josh Doxson as the number one receiver in that draft, um, but Coleman was right behind him. I did like. I did have a first on Coleman also. And I think for type-wise, you know, it's, it's a good comparison to, to look at those two. Um I do think John Ross goes before Corey Coleman, and uh, and it's not just the the four two thing. You know, he is a complete receiver. And if you, just, I I keep retweeting my stuff from last year or or posting highlights again of John Ross because when you watch it, you you remember like yeah, yeah, that's why this guy went top ten. And and even this year, I, he was better than any receiver this year. Calvin Ridley was first, right? Or yeah, Calvin Ridley was first receiver taken. Um, and you look at it and you go, yeah. Uh, He's better than those guys, too. So, yeah, I would take John Ross, I think. He's Joe Goodberry. Yeah. Go oh. I was going to say, what, the, what was the report? That Corey Coleman was on, could be had for a uh, a decent offer? Yeah, I I'd give a fourth right for now. Oh, I would still trade. Yeah. I want multiple you know, chances to have a successful. T- so I would, I would give up a fourth and a sixth right now to Cleveland. For how crucial it is for this offense to have weapons and offensive players, I mean, it's undeniable. You look the way it was, Andy Dalton's best years were with stacked weapons, right? Yeah, I want as many chances that we're going to find that guy as possible. And if it's not Ross and I end up being Coleman, I'm not mad, even though I really liked Ross. I'm, I'm happy that we've got the number two receiver, a number two or a guy that can win one-on-one man coverage. So for me, yeah, I would do that, especially if we're talking a mid-round pick. 
Yeah. I, I hope they do it. They should get it done. Especially, heck, you could do two sixth-round picks. They're going to have so many compensatory picks next year in the sixth round, or they're projected to. Joe, this Great. has been a lot of fun. Make sure you follow Joe on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Check out his work at The Athletic. It's been fun. This was like a reunion show because it's been so long. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, James. Joe is the man. He was on with us, uh, heck, 40 minutes. That's great stuff from Joe. By the way, if you want more on the safety play, he wrote a really good piece for The Athletic. Check that out. Also, follow him on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. This was fun. I feel reunited with Joe. It had been a while. Uh, I'm James Erpine. This is the Locked on Bengals podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. Subscribe iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app. LockedOnBengals.com is where every single podcast is, including a bunch of articles as well. Until tomorrow, thank you so much for listening to the Locked on Bengals podcast. Mm-hmm.